The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot. I like that. I don't. I guess the only thing I don't like is that after listening to our show, people might feel a bit nervous. As in, coffee make me nervous when I drink it. Uh huh. Too much caffeine. Too, Too much, much stimulation. Uh, we can't help it. That's what we provide on the radio. <laughs> Ably assisted at the board by bad boy Benny Mathers. How are you, sir? And he's laughing. He mocks us. Doing very well, but that was not a bad impression of the sling blade. That, am I right? Am I right? Was that, is yes. that? Okay. That yes. I remember seeing that in the theater, and I, mm. I was just mesmerized by that movie. Yeah, biscuits yes. and mustard. Mm. Today we're going to have for the third time and sharpen your pencils, ladies and gentlemen, you'll want to take notes because the subject of consciousness, particularly, or I should say more generally, global consciousness is an extraordinary topic to discuss and it is challenging, Suzanne. Oh, it is. You and I have spent uh, quite a bit of time here this morning just talking about it with the two of us. And it's it's hard to get your mind around it and all the permutations that are connected to it. Yeah, it's them permutations that get to me. I tell you what, right there, the pubertages. <laughs> okay. So we'll get highfalutin here in the, uh, in the intellectual way. And so I, I want to introduce, let me go ahead and do the mad props here, Suzanne. I, I'd like you to. What's interesting about this is that we have referred to this gentleman with other people that we have talked to on the air, on, on our show. Yeah. Now we're actually bringing back the man we're always quoting. Third time. This is great. <laughs> the hat trick. Right. Wonderful. You're about to meet Dr. Roger D. Nelson. He is the director of the IONS-sponsored Global Consciousness Project, GCP, an international collaboration of scientists, artists, and citizens interested in the extraordinary aspects of human consciousness. He also coordinates research in the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Laboratory at Princeton University. Dr. Nelson's professional training is in experimental psychology and psychophysiology, supplemented by a background in physics, statistical methods, engineering, sculpture, electronic music, and multimedia production. He is a student of alternate psychologies, which represent a wide range of transpersonal and non-Western approaches to the understanding of consciousness. He feels that an inclusive and multidisciplinary approach combining scientific, aesthetic, and spiritual perspectives is essential if we are to come to terms with consciousness as it exists and operates in the physical world. So for the third time, we welcome Roger D. Nelson. Roger, it's great to have you back with us. Well, thank you. It's great to be back with you. And what an introduction. Thank you. (laughs) I I didn't know I did all those things. (laughs) It's because you're busy doing them there. And to top it off, I'll put the cherry on top of the icing here. Just minutes ago, I was going over your bio that I said I would read. And Suzanne said to me, this Nelson guy is kind of a left brain, right brain mashup. So I go, well, that's a nice encomium right there. A left brain, right brain mashup. I love it. Yeah. And I I think it's absolutely uh, essential if you're going to try to deal with consciousness. For example, you know, Roger, Gary always talks about left brain, right brain. And if if people only operate in on one side, they're cracked brained because so many people who are left brain cannot 
fathom the uh, unseen world and the people who are right-brained can't balance their checkbooks. And I said, it's as though Roger has one foot in each realm, very, very scientific. And yet when you look at the Global Consciousness Project, you're also looking at aesthetics. You're looking at music and art and poetry. And this has been talked about for some time with people saying how science and spirituality are coming together and it's as though they're not together now. But I think you embody both of those things simultaneously. Do you feel that way? Um, yes, I do. I, I really think it's uh, that we're evolving <laughs> slowly, slowly, and uh, we, that we, because uh, both these uh, aspects of, of the human are beginning to be acknowledged, and uh, the necessity for putting them together more and more recognized. I think we're having, uh, well, we're maybe on the verge of um, taking on something that people call conscious evolution. You know, if you if you really intend to put things together like the art and the science, then it will happen. But when you were talking about that, it reminded me that Einstein said something really very pertinent. I hope I can get this uh, quote right. He said that um, science without religion is blind, and religion without science is lame. So you mm, really yes. have to put the things together. Uh, that that makes great sense, and it also reminds me of a working relationship I had, a friendly one, with a Princeton PhD in physics. This was years ago when I was first in radio, and I worked as his producer for a little while. And Suzanne and I had him over to Easter dinner, I recall. We just got talking about everything from physics to UFOs there. And at one point I said, do you feel, does it occur to you that evolution is either accelerated or impeded by the fact that we are a population in North America that is, as it were, fleeing to the coasts, even as we have global warming issues, fleeing to the coasts and living in a compartmentalized way. What is the evolutionary impact of that? And he seemed to feel that evolution, if anything, is impeded by the fact that when we have technological advances that make thinking on the spot less necessary, and when we can communicate with devices instead of directly living in a tightly compartmentalized, like apartment fashion, it actually slows down evolution because we're not dealing with nature as the mother of necessity. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. I actually I totally agree. And the reason I do is that he's uh, careful to condition what he's talking about. He says um, that technology is uh, capable of isolating. And I think that's a serious uh, problem and a, and a true observation. And to the extent that's true, we aren't going to be consciously evolving because I don't think we, that's not something we do um, as individuals. <clears throat> we have to put, you know, put things together. We have to figure out that um, love is creative and, um, and productive and so forth. And, Hate or distance and separation—all of it is destructive. Ultimately, all of that stuff. 
destructive of a future that we could envision and work toward if we did that um, together. Teamwork. Teamwork. <laughs> Um, Gary and I are familiar with your work. We've looked at it before, and we've also, as I said earlier, referenced it with other people, especially the random number uh, generators. But before we get too far afield, I thought it'd be good to kind of rein the conversation back in, at least just momentarily, and have you talk about what is the Global Consciousness Project, just so we make sure we've got all of our listeners with us. Okay, the Global Consciousness Project is a kind of third-generation um, exploration of consciousness, where the first generation is in consciousness of individuals in a laboratory setting with um, uh, highly sensitive instruments of various kinds, usually involving a random source of some kind, were uh, um, as targets for intention. In other words, we ask people to try to change the way uh, a random number generator does its work. And the second uh, generation is group consciousness. We, after we miniaturized uh, stuff and got small enough, light enough uh, equipment, we could go out in the field with these same instruments and ask, what happens if you, if you um, are in the presence of a group who are communing with each other, connecting with each other, uh, maybe in some sort of state of resonance because they're all enjoying a concert or they're all in a sacred place doing a ritual and so on. And the third generation is a just a grand, huge expansion of that uh, to the, where the group is the entire population of the Earth, or at least substantial numbers of people spread around the Earth. And again, the people we um, are, you know, the situation we're interested in is when people become coherent, um, connected with each other because of, a, of an intention to all, all meditate at the same time as one possibility, or are driven to a kind of common uh, set of emotions by some event in the world, like a great tragedy. Uh, a terrorist attack or an airplane crash or um, a hurricane. And so the Global Consciousness Project was set up to see if we could use this uh, technology that's designed to, set for, to respond to consciousness directly. If we could use that in a, by spreading a bunch of such instruments around the world and letting them generate data continuously, uh, and so that we could, um, whenever a major event in the world brought people together, we could ask, what about the data? What happened to the data from the, this random network uh, during the time when the people were made into a coherent uh, group consciousness? And so uh, that's basically... So, so the purpose, as you can infer, was to find out if we could capture any indications that there is a kind of um, global consciousness, a mass consciousness that we may not perceive directly, but which we might be able to detect using this um, laboratory-style instrumentation. My understanding is that there are 
at least 70 of these random number generators that are all around the Earth. And so if they're just humming along and they're registering every second, it's either a one or zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, and no particular order because they are random. And then if you took a little section of that, there would be 50% ones and 50% zeros. So yeah, that, that when yeah. when an event occurs that captures the emotions of a lot of people at once, what seems to have happened is the random number generators stop being so random. They stop being 50% and 50%. What What is an event where you saw the numbers go... Uh, way off of 50%. Is it just 51.49 or 52.48? I mean, what what is it that shows up that says that there there was something that occurred that everybody was paying attention to? Right. Well, um, the way we do the research is to identify some kind of major event, uh, something like the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, that would constitute a, an event we would expect would create a global consciousness, at least temporarily. Uh, something like um, Nelson Mandela passing uh, also brought just huge numbers of people into a single state of mind, a shared uh, kind of empathetic consciousness. Um, uh, the typhoon in I mean, the earthquake and the tsunami in Japan, um, that sort of thing. Uh, many years ago in Hawaii, there was a center uh, organizing a what they referred to as a billion-man meditation. I think they meant men and women. but And I don't know if they got a billion, but when we uh, took data, uh, looked at the data that were taken during the time this meditation was supposed to be happening all over the world, the data were not random. By the way, the main, uh, I, I guess, a, a description of what happens to the data, to the random number generators, isn't so much that they individually uh, start producing more ones and zeros. It's that they become correlated. So even if they don't produce uh, you know, more ones or zeros um, to any great extent, they do whatever it is they're doing in correlation with each other, and they really shouldn't do that. They're separated by thousands of kilometers in most cases, and they're designed to be completely independent. So, so are you yeah. saying that uh, several of the, the, the num- random number generators would then be showing a same pattern of numbers? Is that what it is? It's not more ones or more zeros, but it's it's lining up the ones and the zeros kind of in, in, a, in the same pattern? Right. Um, you know, that's uh, basically correct. I probably should, uh, you know, expand just a little bit on what we actually record. We don't actually, we don't look at the individual ones and zeros. What we do is every second we collect 200 ones and zeros, and there should be 50-50, just as you said. And we... Um, record the sum of the one, um, <clears throat> and that will be about 100, because there are 250, 50, sometimes it's 110, sometimes 102, 
sometimes 85. Uh, once in a while, it'll be quite far out, like 120 or so. Um, but the numbers range themselves, if nothing else is going on, in a bell curve pattern. So that most of the numbers are close to 100, and as you get further from 100, either direction, there gets to be less and less such numbers recorded. And what is um, what, what the correlation between these devices means is that uh, there will be there will tend to be more numbers over 100 or more numbers under 100 in a pair um, uh, of these RETGs. We look at the correlation between pairs. Uh, it's this so technically pretty, uh, you know, maybe a little intense, but basically what we're looking for is as if we had um, sometimes used the uh, metaphor of buoys in the ocean, which are normally bobbing up and down just randomly, but if a, a very big, long wave comes by, it will lift and, and, and uh, sink the buoys in a kind of rhythmic fashion that is correlated. So that's what we're looking at, is a kind of giant wave that somehow is pushing um, these devices, which are long distance apart, pushing two or more of them in the same way. Does, does that metaphor help a little? Yes, yes, it does. The, the 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 object, as far as I can understand, is you are by using this particular methodology. It is a type of scientific proof about consciousness existing not only within people but also outside of people. That's great, and Dr. Nelson, let me just jump in here. Thank you, Suzanne, for asking that. If I say to some people, many people, in fact, I've come to the conclusion that consciousness is non-local. I yeah. can't blame them if they ask, well, what do you mean by that? And then I go into my own amateur version of what that means to me. The idea that, that uh, just as with uh, the drilling of oil, you get natural gas as a byproduct, whether you want it or not. We have this thing, consciousness, which if we accept the standard Western medical or physiological model, means that it's a byproduct of the biochemical and electrical processes of the human brain. You just get consciousness, almost like an accidental thing. And that's always seemed ridiculous to me. But if that's the working model among highly trained professionals, how do you overcome that kind of bias when you when you introduce the concept of non-local consciousness? Well, I think uh, you have to have evidence. And it, uh, then you have to have also something like a combination of good luck and persistence. And uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of teamwork to penetrate the shield of um, conviction people have about the standard model and the uh, meat makes uh, mind model, which I don't believe in either, not for a second. Basically, uh, what I think of when uh, when people talk about non-local consciousness is just a, a, a fact which you can see in data from experiments uh, including all the ones I've been talking about, the laboratory, the uh, group consciousness, and the global consciousness experiments, you can see that 
skin. Instead, it's basically a kind of consciousness or information field that extends out from every one of us in all directions and who knows how far, probably in a kind of unlimited way, which means, uh, which would be uh, properly described as non-local. So when we're talking about a global consciousness, what we're talking about is something that's made of consciousness fields from uh, millions of individuals, normally uh, extending out, but without interaction. They just you know, they're fields that interpenetrate just like radio uh, waves do. But occasionally, for reasons that we can describe, the interactions will become resonant uh, and will become either, will cause constructive or destructive interference. And that uh, means that something new is created by the interaction or interpenetration inter, uh, and <laughs> of um, these kind of ethereal waves. So if I say consciousness waves and information waves, um, I won't be able to give you the equation, not yet, <laughs> but people are working on that and, and coming closer and closer to being able to specify scientifically what might be meant by an information field or a consciousness. As we um, as we're evolving in the sense of our understanding about the quantum physics and 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 realizing the limitations in a mechanistic worldview, we we do talk to a lot of people on our show who are very clear about consciousness existing outside of just our own bodies because we talk to, mediums and psychics and people who are accessing other dimensions um, with, you know, using the tools of their body and their brain. And it also reminds me, Roger, of the people that we've talked to who talk about the particle and wave theory, where a subatomic particle can act as a particle or it can act as a wave. But it's not an either or, it's an and. And so we can be individual people with our individual consciousness and at the same time act as a wave and be part of a global consciousness as well. And and that's kind of how I can get my mind around this idea of the global consciousness. It is not one thing or the other, it's actually both. And, and I was saying to Gary earlier, in my individual consciousness, I can plan out my to-do list and think about the things I want to get done today, which is, is just me thinking about my own life. But then there's this other consciousness where I will start to think about um, another person and say, um, you know, I should be hearing from them. And, um, you know, I wonder how they're doing. I, and I thought today I might get a call and then they call. And so I, I feel like there is that connection with another person that is outside of, of me that I am able to connect to in that way. So the idea of being both particle and wave, does that kind of set well with you when you look at consciousness? Uh, yes, I've been waiting to be able to say thank you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> very uh, important uh, I think very important 
realization for uh, many people uh, who are maybe a little concerned. They say, oh, global consciousness, uh, that's sort of like a, um, you know, like a world government, isn't it? And don't I have to give up my individuality if there's going to be a global consciousness? And the answer is, just as you say, absolutely not. We, we are uh, destined, I think, um, following the ideas of Teilhard de Chardin, to become, in the next evolutionary stage, a kind of uh, global uh, consciousness, a mind, a noosphere, term he used, a sheath of intelligence for the Earth. But that doesn't mean we stop being individuals. We are actually, I think, um, in another metaphor, very much like neurons in a brain. The neurons um, don't necessarily know anything about consciousness or mind or uh, love or joy or any of those kinds of things. But if they just do their job as neurons, they are good, high-quality neurons uh, behaving the way you're supposed to when you're a neuron. They produce this amazing thing that we recognize and live in as consciousness. It's absolutely amazing. But uh, in the same way, I think human beings, if we come to the point where we're able to do our job as full-scale, developed, and realized human beings, we won't lose that, but we will um, at that you know, at that time, be able to be part of a a global consciousness that we create in the same way that a a batch of neurons creates a human mind. I think it's a good time to take a break. There are are questions and examples and issues. I'd even like to extrapolate a bit on the other side of the break, like what if, what if— it's something that can't happen because we're going too far back in the past, but I'm just very curious about the hypotheticals. And on a show like this, we're free to speculate. That's the good news. We are talking with Dr. Roger D. Nelson of the Global Consciousness Project. There is so much to explore, and we're going to do as much as time will allow. Right now, we're going to take a short break. Stay tuned to Manson Mitchell. We will be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Ovarian cancer is devastating and difficult to diagnose. It's often only caught in advanced stages, and four out of five women will see the deadly disease return. I knew when ovarian cancer recurs. It's often incurable. It was terrifying, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Until recently, following chemotherapy, women with recurrent ovarian cancer had to simply watch and wait for their disease to come back. Well, we say. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. 
not on my watch. Now, with maintenance therapies, women can extend their time in response and delay recurrence. Knowledge and awareness of your choices empowers you and gives you a greater sense of control. Let's call for a change in ovarian cancer care. The Not On My Watch movement empowers women facing recurrent ovarian cancer to take an informed and active role in managing their disease. Visit notonmywatch.com to learn more. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Roger Nelson, a pioneer in consciousness studies who discusses his latest book, Approaching the Frontier of Human Knowledge. On Saturday, Christine Upchurch shines a light on the path of successful living. She knows how to do it, too. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. <laughs> Suzanne shaking her head. Yeah, like, I'm going, why did you pick that song? Lucretia McEvil? Yeah, I was going to say. Too? I'm curious. But enough about Betsy DeVos. Oh, yeah. We've got to defund those Special Olympics. <laughs> we can't be wasting taxpayer money on these useless activities. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Moving I, on. And actually, there is there's something as we move on with our conversation. We need to do the marketing piece with yes. Roger Dean Nelson. And, there, and then I, I kind of want to go back to that, to revisit that, and also to extrapolate from events that happened before there were these mechanisms okay. for measuring global consciousness. That's fine. And before you go there, I want to ask our very special guest, Roger Nelson. It, I, I know you have a new book out. It's called Connected. And I, I want to let our listeners know how they can get your new book when it's available, because I understand it's not available immediately. And what are the various ways that people can connect with you and find out about the Global Consciousness Project? Okay. The new book is called Connected. It has a subtitle, The Emergence of Global Consciousness. It's available, it is available now, although at Amazon. Um, but they, Amazon usually says, oh, we don't have any in stock and it'll be uh, two weeks or three weeks or something like that. People are actually getting it within 10 days of ordering it. So Amazon.com, and you can just look for Connected, the Emergence of Global Consciousness, or Roger D. Nelson, either one. And um, you can also buy it from Barnes & Noble, uh, same sort of setup. They, uh, If you're overseas, then it's a little more difficult because Amazon doesn't from this country doesn't ship. But there is a website, um, and I don't think I know it exactly now, but you, you folks might. It's something like um, it's a U.K. website uh, that is, I believe, owned by Amazon, but they don't publicize it, where you can mm. um, look for that book. I also okay. have, for those who speak uh, or read German, I published uh, a year ago uh, a book together with a friend in Austria. Um, that The name of that book is Der Weltgeist. Um, so if you speak German, you, that might be of interest, and you can buy that on Amazon.de, is say the German Amazon. So ways to be in touch. Um, I have a website called, which is for the Global Consciousness Project. It's 
has all the stories and details about how things are done more than anybody knows how to wade through. It's uh, got all the data. You can download data if you want to. There's uh, multiple addresses for that. The fastest, the most direct one is global-mind.org, G-L-O-B-A-L-M-I-N-D.org. Another address is noosphere.princeton.edu, N-O-O-S-P-H-E-R-E dot Princeton, P-R-I-N-C-E-T-O-N, dot E-D-U. Either of those will work. And um, then there's, uh, you know, there are ways to be and to connect with me that are on that website. And uh, Facebook, too. Yes, and I have a Facebook um, page that's called uh, Global Consciousness. Um, let me see. It might actually be called GCP something. I better check that because I'm not 100% sure. It's a page off my Roger Nelson page. Oh, okay. Okay. And and Roger Dean Nelson and I are Facebook friends. I don't know if you have reached your limit of five thousand. If so, I got in under the wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I uh, am at that limit, but it uh, you know people drop off, so there's always a, um, a few slots. I'm um, I'm very happy to have so many friends, even though I don't know most of the people, but that's cool. Well, no. thank you. That gives us uh, gives our listeners a way that they can get your book and also connect with you. So thank right. you for that. Also a good reason to maintain the page on Facebook. That's great. Yeah, I, me, and now I have it up so I can tell you the actual address. It's okay. Egg Project, E-G-G-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. That's the, um, that's the Facebook.com uh, slash Egg Project is the is the way to get to the Facebook page for the Global Consciousness Project. And that is um, a place where I publish new analyses once in a while. The formal uh, series of analyses ended in late uh, 2015, uh, but we are continuing to run the network, and now and then something happens in the world that um, people wonder about, or I wonder about myself, and we do an analysis. That's fine, and, and thank you for all that good information. Uh, Roger, I, I wanted to point out something current. I was being facetious with that uh, bumper music, as we call it, there, Lucretia McEvil, because I think it ties into something that I read about your work, and that is, if there is an issue that, or an event, if there is an event, and we're talking now about the hotly political issue, which seems to have been put to rest because President Donald Trump decided to override the defunding of Special Olympics. Good choice. So he decided to do that, and it was hurting his brand. And uh, Betsy DeVos, Education Department Secretary, uh, had entertained that idea and asked for it to be defunded, and there, was, there were just howls and howls of protest across the nation. Uh, so when we look at that, one of the things I recall reading about your work, Dr. Nelson, is that if there is something that is, as it were, of the moment, that can't be observed over a sufficient length of time, it doesn't 
vector into the parameters of the global consciousness project the way that something that has uh, longer ramifications they're the um, the death of Princess Diana, for example. I mean, that, that's going to ripple out worldwide, and you can observe this. But it, it seems to me, if I understand you correctly, that when you have a 24-hour news cycle where you cannot go to any sort of news programming without seeing, they'll lead with it. They'll open the show, breaking news, breaking news. Even if it's right. a developing story over days, they call it breaking news, which isn't good journalism in my book, but that's what they say. Yeah. They'll hold your attention with that. So when it's that way and it's something that is a freshet of controversy, what do you need to observe in order for that to fit within the parameters of the GCP? Well, it's a good question. And uh, I think the general answer is it's not so easy because what we need, um, what, what we have found actually in the research, um, matters to the global consciousness uh, network and makes changes in the data are things that really gather a kind of synchronous attention um, from usually millions of people. It can be smaller numbers, but it has to be really powerfully focused. But um, the point is that it has to be something that uh, really gathers people into a uh, communal, um, almost like an entity which is another way of saying gathers them into a global consciousness briefly or temporarily. And you, most of the events that are like that are things that, are, that have a, a moment in, in time and then a, a few hours uh, or, or during which the feelings and the news about the feelings um, propagate and, and recruit more and more people into that network. So when you're talking about something like the 24-hour news cycle, that's basically chaotic, ongoing, um, how shall I say it, other than blah, blah. There's really a huge, once in a while, there's something really important that's going on. And I totally agree with your assessment of that um, really unfortunate thing where Betsy DeVos wants to defund a Special Olympics. And she apparently really did want to. She argued for it for two days, and then when Trump said, nope, can't do that because of all the protests, it switched. She switched and said, yeah, I've been, that's, uh, I've been with you all along. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so blatant, and there's no coherence. There's nothing there that, uh, that I would expect the global consciousness to really uh, you know, be uh, captivated by or captured by. If you see what I mean, it, uh, it becomes an example, uh -huh. uh, which I I really uh, wrestled with a, a lot was the the turmoil in the in the Middle East, and that's been going on practically the whole time the Global Consciousness Project, which is 20 years old, um, has existed. That um, so I I mean it was there were hor horrific things happening, uh, gripping things, and um, I. But it was like a bubbling cauldron. There was always something popping up and bursting on the scene. So I, what I eventually resolved to do was to uh, try to identify a truly uh, spectacularly pointed uh, event, something like uh, uh, the Israelis bomb, 
uh, an attack and a ship. This is so long ago, I don't even remember the details. But the Israelis attacked the ship that black actually belonged to Turkey, I think, um, and, and uh, killed some people. And it was uh, it, it blasted the news for a day or so. Anyway, and uh, that's probably enough going on about that. But basically, it's a, a bubbling turmoil. This is something that we know how to examine, even though it might be affecting the. Global Consciousness Network in a very general way, we know there are some things that have a long-term effect. Um, we have looked at the all the data, not just the events, but all the data, and found that there is there there are very very long-term months or even years trends where the data are going down or uh, going up. They seem to correspond to things like. Um, the mood of the world, uh, but that's a pretty far-fetched speculation. Uh, and that's okay. That that is okay. The speculation. I mean, I think that's a lot of the intrigue. A lot of the creep. A lot of the intrigue, the intriguing oh. aspects of, of your work. Oh, oh yeah. Well, this was this is one I wish were uh, we were um, you know able to continue for a longer time. Um, Everybody is getting, you know, older and less energetic and so forth. But um, mm -hmm. when, for the first couple of years, the global, the grand long-term analysis showed a trace uh, of the same kind we usually expect to go up. It went kind of level for two or three years. And then in late 2001, um, there was a spike upward and then a long trend, about four or five uh, maybe even six years, where it was going fairly steadily downward, so steadily that it was possible to determine it was statistically significant. And then there was a turnaround, uh, uh, roughly in 2008, when uh, it started going up again, and it continued doing uh, a fairly steady trend upward, again, significant by the usual standard, um, until... 2013 or 2014, which was uh, is the last we have actually uh, had an analysis done. So if you think about it, that corresponds to periods of um, the, the Bush, um, uh, George W. Bush administration, and followed by the Obama administration. And uh, it also corresponds, as it turns out, to something like changes in the. This is so esoteric, but it uh, changes in a market index for the value of the dollar. It also plummets down for that same period of time, almost exactly correlated with the GCP data, and then comes up in uh, the same fashion. So if we kept on looking, I bet we would find another uh, half dozen um, social metrics that would all would have that same shape of curve over many years. So not to belabor it, but there's there's a possibility that, that the GCP data are responding to some very large scale, completely unconscious and unknown uh, variations in our mood and attitude and, and our connectivity or something. Yes. 
I have a question for you that uh, you just triggered in my mind. And I think of um, when you're going to look at a very particular event, uh, a tsunami or a hurricane, you know when that occurred so that you can look at the data from that period of time. But now I hear you talking about um, the mood of the world and I'm wondering if you can see things coming down the road in the future where you can kind of forecast or say there is currently a trend up or there currently is a trend down where you get a sense from the data as to what direction the mood of the globe is going. Um, I understand the question and I don't have a real Clear answer. Okay. We've never been, uh, we've never had a protocol for trying to do predictions. We have, okay. in the, in retrospect, we've looked at various events, very powerful events like the 9/11, and also the uh, uh, the tsunami that wrecked uh, the, you know, the Indian Ocean, wrecked yes. Thailand, that, that sort of thing. We have, oh, and also the hurt the hurricane that destroyed uh, Haiti. Anyway, yes. Yes. what I want to say is that we have, in retrospect, we've, after the fact, we have looked at the data before uh, and after, for that matter, the actual event, and, and discovered that in uh, some of those cases, there's a fairly clear uh, moment earlier than the actual event. Like in the case of 9-11, it seems to be at least four hours before the first plane hit. And in Haiti, there was, uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry, the, in the Indian tsunami, it was about 24 hours. So there are um, some suggestions, but it's only in post-facto, after-the-fact analysis. So we have never done found a way to make a protocol that would allow us to um, make to do predictions. Okay, and then I guess what what I was wondering is if the uh, during an analysis, if the data is is always being fed into the the computer, if the computer would say, you know, uh oh, I'm looking at a I'm looking at a match here, I'm looking at you know things lining up, so that you could almost anticipate something occurring. And you're right. saying that hasn't been set up in that way to look at that, but I could see where that would be quite possible if someone were, you know, monitoring it in real time, as opposed to let's go back and look what happened, you know, two days ago. But if they were monitoring it in the moment, they could say, well, it looks like something big is about to occur because all the numbers are, are lining up for all these generators. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense. But uh, the next question is how to make sense of it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, you couldn't because you wouldn't know what the event is. Yes. You wouldn't know yes. where it is. You wouldn't know whether right. it's positive or negative. You wouldn't really know anything other than, well, I, I have, this question has come up before. I've, I've been trying to say you wouldn't know anything but be afraid. <laughs> right. Is it be afraid or anticipate something joyful? And thank you for that entree, Roger D. Nelson, because here's what I wanted to bring up. We have about five minutes. Yeah. Here is here is a time frame for you, okay? Mm -hmm. 
if if the GCPU were up and running and everything's going as it does now, let's go back in time to November 22, 1963, and the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Okay, now, in terms of what was reported worldwide and the word of the assassination spread in the pre-cable era, pre-satellite era, with remarkable rapidity. And there was this wave of grief worldwide, actually. Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev Kennedy's adversary said that his wife cried at news of the assassination. So there was this convulsive grief. And looking back on it now, because I was alive, I was nine years old, and I still remember like it was yesterday. And I remember something else from when I was nine years old. Less than 90 days after the assassination of President Kennedy, less than 90 days, the Beatles come to America. And as a, as a music critic, a uh, former friend of mine there, uh, my late friend, said when that happened, when they appeared on Ed Sullivan and their records were being played on American radio stations, when that mania came here, their rocket was lit, as he put it. Now, this is less than 90 days from America burying a murdered president. Mm-hmm. We went from this convulsive grief I still remember that adults wouldn't look at each other in the eye. I never saw that before. I'm just a kid. But I noticed that adults wouldn't meet each other's gaze. Their grief was private. And then, as I say, less than 90 days later, here is this upshot of teeny bopper joy, this surge of excitement and pleasurable energy and idol worship going on when the Beatles played Ed Sullivan and thereafter as they toured America. Now, if you had the machinery, if you had the means at the time, I, do you ever wonder what would have shown up, what would it have looked like, and what inferences could you have drawn? Well, I actually use the Kennedy assassination as the kind of thing which uh, produces a world-class global consciousness. And, and uh, there are other cases. You know, Princess Diana, which you mentioned before, when Itzhak Rabin was assassinated, probably when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, although mm. it wasn't quite as big a uh, disaster in the uh, you know, world consciousness as JFK. He was a major uh, positive figure. Anyway, uh, here's the prediction I would make, and fortunately nobody can prove me wrong. <laughs> in right. both the case of Kennedy's assassination, there would have been an, a powerful spike uh, in indicating that the uh, these my network of devices came together, correlated, became a unit, and the same I predict the same thing for the incredible splash that uh, the Beatles made on the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, might not have been quite as uh, pronounced, but it would have been a positive, powerful positive event that really um, aroused. Um, the hopes and joys of a lot of people, just as the uh, assassinations aroused grief and compassion and, you know, utter devastation in, in emotional terms. So, I, yeah, nobody can prove me wrong. <laughs> I think they, those are both perfectly uh, designed examples of the kind of thing that matter to a global consciousness. 
And I guess I should just add as a postscript, it's so fascinating to me that Gene Dixon, among some other psychics, tried frantically and desperately to get the word through to the White House that President Kennedy should not go to Dallas. Here again, a consciousness outside the train of events. Yeah, wow, yeah. I had forgotten that, but you're right. <clears throat> we, um, we, do, we don't um, trust our intuitions, and we don't trust our gifted friends who have stronger and more powerful and more accurate intuition enough. I think uh, that's part of our necessary evolution is to get to the point where we trust ourselves at the deepest level. Myself, looking forward to, um, you know, getting out of the mess we're presently in but <laughs> and somehow learning to swim in a, uh, you know, in a sea of uh, corruption uh, that is kind of... Is really holding us back. You know, we were talking earlier about retarding or, or uh, decreasing the ability to, you know, move forward in an evolutionary way. There's a lot of forces aligned against the positive conscious evolution. But I think ultimately the power of um, coherent and cooperative thinking and and uh, feeling is going to be sufficient, has to be sufficient. Otherwise, we're just done as a species together and become more responsible as, uh, you know, the leading, the, the primary um, intelligence on the Earth. Uh, we have the potential to have an absolutely gorgeous world, and I think we have the responsibility to work toward that. And I really thank you guys for doing your part, which I, uh, I'm lucky to participate in, uh, to move people in the direction of doing whatever we can. And if we can't do something, at least pray. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Roger D. Nelson, for another fascinating conversation. Looking forward to the next time. Stay tuned for Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon and the new American Road Trip Talk at one o'clock. Have a great weekend, everyone. Preceding audio was via a Skype call.